Hey, it's Mary here. I just want to let you know that in this episode, we will be talking about knife crime and violence. If that's not for you, then have a listen back to one of our other episodes. I got stabbed on two separate occasions. Both times I was defending someone that I love. Living in this society, no way we should be seeing more deadlier weapons coming into our streets with our children. You know? I wouldn't lie myself one time and pretended to be 40 years old. And I managed to get some of the semi-knives through Snapchat and stab through fest. To me, I don't see anything where people's lives have been lost at this rate. And when we talk about lives, we're talking about young children who's got their whole life ahead of them, who's, who's perfectly healthy. You know, how have we died at 17 years old? The biggest problem is I feel like the community have nearly become desensitized to it. It's normal to see a young person being stabbed in your feet. It's normal to see a young man that's being jailed for stabbing someone else. It's just so normal now. People scroll past that. But until we all accept we've got a problem, then we're never actually going to look for a solution, are we? The voice you just heard was from someone called Farron. He's been attacked by a knife twice, and in total, he's been stabbed nine times. But now, what he does is use his platform, mainly on Instagram, to get people to hand in their knives to him. They do that in exchange for vouchers for places like clothes shops. Whilst his response is amazing and he's doing all this great work, sadly, him being a victim of knife crime, stories like that just aren't uncommon. According to the Office for National Statistics, offences with a sharp instrument are up 4.7% higher than in 2021 to 22. And most recently, there was this high-profile killing of Eliane Andam, who was stabbed on her way to school. You might be listening to this thinking, I don't carry a knife, and it's not directly affecting me. But the reality is, this is becoming more normalised. Now, we've got a voice note from someone on this. Let's call him Adam. That's not his real name. We've also changed his voice. I have come across people that have openly told me that they have a knife. They feel like with a knife, if they were to ever get attacked, they feel safe carrying that knife. I'd definitely say in the university experience, especially around clubs, I have seen people that have pulled up their jumpers to show, oh, look, I've got a knife. I have been worried in those situations, especially going to clubs, uh, going on nights out. As an example, in Hyde Park, you have people that are on the streets that approach you um, that at night time can say, give me this or give me that. If you don't, I've got a knife on me. Look, there are huge consequences to carrying a weapon. You can go to prison for up to four years simply for just possession of a knife. But clearly that's not enough to put an end to it. This information isn't new to the government. They recognise that it's a serious problem and they are doing something about it. They've got this new legislation, like bans on machetes, giving the police more power and increasing penalties as well. But I'm wondering, will this actually work? I want to understand why this is happening, what are the roots, and I guess what's next. I'm Mary Manderfield. Welcome to Noted. So... Obviously, I'm sitting here recording this today, but I'll be real with you. Like, I'm not spending loads of time with people who live this. Someone who does is Farron. 
you heard from him earlier and talking about this and actioning this is his everyday. Farron Alex Paul set up Faz Amnesty. It's basically a campaign that asks young people to hand in their knives to him and in return they get vouchers. It's obviously resonating with people as 116,000 are following him on Instagram and seeing the work that he does. And at the news movement, we spoke to him last month about his work and over a million views later, we thought, let's bring him back and keep this conversation going. So can you tell me what does FAS Amnesty actually do? Um, So FAS Amnesty is an organisation that I'm the founder of. It's literally a community initiative where I go to the community and anyone that comes across weapons, whether they found it, they've taken it off someone or persuaded someone to give it over, I'll be the person, the middleman between them and the police officers in terms of disposing it. And you started this as a result of your own experiences. Can you tell us what happened? I was stabbed um, on two different occasions. And also, my daughter went to my niece's party where these young boys tried to get into the party and my brother wouldn't let them in and they all that nice in them and they started showing them the knife that kind of like trying to get their way to the party so between me a few friends and my brother we managed to take the knife of the children and talk a bit of sense into them and I just thought to myself you know like I want this to be long standing I want it to have longevity you know I don't want to just be I took a knife of someone and that's the end of it so I started to think of ways that I can make young people willingly come forward to um, hand their weapons over. At first, I, I was offering young children money, you know, um, for their weapons and stuff, but I quickly realised that weren't feasible. You know, like, what's a young person going to take that money and do with that money, you know? So I thought to myself, if I can turn that into something where you can only purchase a certain item for, like a voucher, then it's going to work, you know? Just going back to your story and being stabbed twice... Can you tell us a little bit about how that actually impacted your life? And also, just the thought now of knives, it's almost like they're getting bigger, they're getting more extreme. We're seeing stories about young people, you know, carrying machetes. That's the thing, that my situation, um, I got stabbed on two two separate occasions. Both times I was defending someone that I loved, you know, and is my family member. The difference between my time was when I grew up, it was all right to have a little fight. We could get over it, you know what I mean? Back in the day, it was kind of like, whoa, man, that, that's a bit much, man. You should have done that, do you know what I mean? And even the type of weapons that were used back in the day, they were nowhere near as sinister as what I'm seeing now. Like, I'm seeing 21-inch serrated edges with all sorts of curves in it, with holes here and there. And what people don't understand, that's not just an aesthetic design. That is a design of serrated edges. You need to understand, if you stab someone and they fall down, that body's going to go down. Now think about a knife going in, that's one problem. Or think about a knife coming out of that person with the serrated edges on the top. Do you understand? So not only as you push it in, as you pull it out, there's even more damage. They're so devilish. They're made in such a way that they're actually made to prevent the doctor from being able to stitch it. You know, like there's so much damage. There's so much from tissue to bone to nerve. Like there's so much damage. So I feel like, Living in this society, no way we should be seeing more deadlier weapons coming into our streets for our children. You know, how have we died at 17 years old? The biggest problem is I feel like the community have nearly become desensitized to it. It's normal to see a young person being stabbed in your feet 
it's normal to see a young man that's being jailed for stabbing someone else. It's just so normal now. People scroll past that. So, yeah, man, I feel like the whole society really need to sit down, step back and look where we're at in terms of like these young children's futures. And when we talk about actually what is influencing young people to carry knives in the first place, what are some of the factors that feed into that? Living standards, I'd say influence, and that influence comes from personal friends, people that they look up to, um, social media, the music general. Like there's a lot of contributing factors, you know. Some children just want to walk around with knives. Some people want to protect themselves from knives, you know, and I just feel like the violence and all the knife and that whole scenario is just basically it's the in thing right now you know it's the in thing to be a bad boy do you know what I'm saying and to tell the truth I feel like in terms of social media and young people's friends people don't look down on people that walk out of knives if anything they get commended for it to an extent by certain people you know so yeah man I just feel like there's many contributing factors to why a young person's carrying a knife and I feel like one of the bigger problems is the accessibility they have to knives, you know? You've got social media sites that selling stuff on Instagram. You've got countries where weapons ain't actually illegal. And so it don't stop them from going onto social media and still allowing someone to buy their weapons, you know? So these are problems we've got. Even though the offensive weapons legislation is in force here and you're not allowed to buy or sell or throw weapons, I haven't seen no graduation in the sales of accessibility for the weapons for the young children, you know? I went online myself one time and pretended to be 14 years old. And I managed to get some of the semi-knives through Snapchat and stabbed through fist. And then on top of that, I won't say no names, but a very, very commendable delivery service, even though I was supposed to get the weapon signed for, they came to my door. I literally knocked my door and said, hi, special delivery for you. That's, that's a 40-year-old guy that's going through Snapchat. And what's even worse, a lot of these people that sold knives, they registered their knife sales as a business. It was a business, as a company. If you go to company house, you see that this name here is actually a registered company that's selling knives. So they're actually profiting. They're paying taxes on selling knives into the community. You know what I'm saying? And I just feel like there's minimal accountability for this situation and not enough care or solutions because the way I see it, I feel like the government and certain people social media sites, they have the power, you know, to stop certain things being circulated, you know? And I just don't think enough's being done. I feel like there's little things they can put in place to make the accessibility of knives harder for young children. I feel there's things they can put in place to make the buying and selling and storing of knives harder for the retailer, you know? I know we've spoken about the influences of why people kind of are getting into the position of carrying a knife, but what is that system there of making money? Is it buying and selling knives? Is it being there as protection? Is that a naive question? No, I'm glad you asked that because I think they're naive to what they're doing because you can't make money stabbing people. Everybody knows the number one rule is, yeah, when it comes to gangs and everything, Bro, if you want to make money, yeah, you need to stay away from the violence and stay away from the murder. But once the violence and the murder come, the police come. And once the police come, when they investigate the murder charge, bro, they're taking everyone and everything. That's why I say to myself, this ain't about money. That's why I say it's more of a trend. It's more of a fashion. Do you know people I've spoke to and they've been killed and their mum can't pay for their funerals and they're making GoFundMe's? Bro, you got killed in the brand new Jordans and the brand new Gucci, but your mum can't pay for your funeral. And you get a fabulous plant donation with a local authority and then you get the little plaque that goes on the side of the of the cemetery somewhere. 
But you know what? They don't even realise that. You talked about the government potentially being able to do more to make it harder to buy knives. What roles do other kind of groups or institutions play, do you think, from your point of view, whether that's schools or community groups or families? Some parents, they do so well for their children and that ends up backfiring in their face. And then you've got the parents that don't do enough, right? That's one circle that where it starts at home. Then you've got the schools. Now, a lot of these teachers, a lot of these establishments don't accept they've got a problem, you know? A lot of these teachers want to go to teach and, and get, like, they're not security guards. The problem is that a lot of these children's time are spent in schools, you know? A lot of the bullying happens in schools. A lot of children are taking out to school and hide them outside the building. And I just feel like with certain establishments in schools, for them to admit they've got a knife problem basically can affect their reputation. But until we all accept we've got a problem, then we're never actually going to look for a solution, are we? After that now, you've got the police. But with the police, I find it tricky because the police are told what to do. Their resources are issued by the government. Do you understand that? And if the government ain't going to realise what needs to be done, and give the other organisations, the local authorities and the police the power to do it, then they're limited in terms of what they can do as well, you know? But at the same time, I feel like it's simple little things like, why don't we put some sort of licensing into buying and storing of weapons, you know? Mate, you're going to buy a hunt in there. Mate, listen, show me some paper at the shop that you're a hunter. Show me something. Oh, you're a chef. Okay. Show me your accreditations. You can have that. Do you understand? Oh, you're a carpenter. I understand why you got to stand in there for the chisel. But listen, mate, yeah? Any retailer that's going to send the ramp on there, the compass on the end, to someone in E13 in the tower block, you're having a laugh. But you know that guy ain't going to catch it, right? This is a long-term fight. This, this is a fight that's going to have to go on. You know, like, you got you got to keep pushing, man. But my thing's this. It's really important that people that want the same thing, like-minded people work together and try to achieve what we can. If I can help one child from being hurt, as bad as I did, or dying, or, or dying, or I can stop a, job, a kid from going to jail for making the wrong decision. Mate, all it takes is 10 seconds, and you'll be sitting in jail for 10 years. That's my petrol, man. That's my fuel, man. I don't, like, like, like I don't need 10 down the street patting me in the back. Literally, I go see a young 15-year-old today, and he says to me, thank you so much for taking that, and his mum says, bless you. I'm like, bless you too, man. Onwards and upwards now. Don't do that again. What is the kind of general message that you are, you're giving to someone who, who maybe is caught up in this and it's either they're looking for a way out or you know they're already on that path? There's so much more to life. Listen, a rose can grow through soil and a rose can grow through concrete. You've got choices. Like, don't let your environment yeah, dictate who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Do you understand that? Don't make that excuse. Some of the best lawyers, celebrities, they came from the same ghetto. Yeah, so don't make an excuse. You got a choice, use it. And time waits for no one, so do the best you can of your time. Someone like me, I don't carry a knife and I don't believe that the people that I spend time with are carrying knives. How do I personally become part of the solution rather than just a bystander and waiting for the news to tell me someone else young has passed away? You've got close people around you, you've got family, you've got friends, you've got younger children. Try to spread your message to them, you know? And... I want to ask you something, it might sound a bit weird. Are you first day trained? Like, if you used to see someone bleeding in the street right now, would you know what to do? Would you feel confident to know what to do? I'm first day trained, but I I know from being in that moment, it's it's terrifying, especially when it's someone young. 
Exactly. Yeah, these are things that would help. And that's why I say, you know, that the young children, a lot of people see the first responder as the ambulance and the police officers, right? Yes, professionally, yes. But a young child that's walking home in a crowd with their friends, they're afraid to the first respondents. So I think it's very important that these children understand, yeah, what it feels like to be in shock. To use your phone, to phone the ambulance and not record. To take your tie off and then how to try a tourniquet. These little things will be the difference of a young person bleeding out in three minutes or not. Farron, thank you so much for joining us on Noted and, and really walking us through so much of your experience and what you've learned as well. I totally understand Farron's emotion, but I also get that really frustratingly, not everybody shares that same passion or that same urgency for change. And I think that's because it's just not part of what people see every day. It's not what they see in their communities. What did you take from the conversation with Farron? For me, it's all about the change and the actual like practical, tangible steps. And I want to focus on that next. With somebody who's reported on this for his whole career. That's coming up after this. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So obviously that conversation with Farron is just a tiny little reflection of like how he's showing up in his community every day. But on this bigger scale, it's national and it's happening all over. And how we get to hear about this and see it through the headlines are people reporting on this. As a crime correspondent, John Simpson has covered some really serious stuff. I'm talking gang murders, domestic violence, terror attacks. This was during his 11 years at the Times newspaper. You might have even heard his work on the podcast Who Killed CJ Davis. Now he is the investigations reporter at the news movement. And as someone who spent a lot of their time with people who are affected by knives, I know that he can help me figure out where we're at and what that bigger picture looks like as well. John, welcome to Noted. Thank you. Um, I've just spoke to Farron, who is someone that you've kind of worked with, and he shared, like, so much insight, I guess, into his own life and, and the impact and stuff that knives have on him. This is something that you've been, like, covering as a reporter for a long time. How do you see things... Like, how have you seen things change over that time? It, it really doesn't change that much, right? Like the cycles of violence, fear and trauma, the way that they spread and replicate in communities, you know, they're the same time and time again. You know, we have these moments of uh, social trauma, right, where the media arrive, you know, you see some poor child's face on every screen in the country, in every newspaper, promises are made, 
people, uh, you know, wholeheartedly vow that things will be different and then the focus switches, it doesn't change. So it's almost like when something really serious happens, like somebody dies, especially someone who's like really young and almost seems like, why would they be caught up in this? Then everyone's heads turn to it. Everyone says knife crime is a problem. But then you kind of see after that attention is gone, it's back to like everyday life. Yeah. Access to knives hasn't changed massively over the course of, of the time that I've been covering these stories. The solutions offered are often very similar. It's increasing stop and search on the streets. It's cracking down on certain drug activities. But every police officer I've ever spoken to about knife crime in particular and, and in other crimes, they'll tell you, you can't arrest your way out of these problems. Yeah. I spoke to Farron about influences and this idea as well of like, if you know other people or like your opposition are carrying knives, then it makes sense for you to carry a knife. Um, but in the bigger picture, like the theme of music comes up quite a lot. In terms of music actually leading to a conviction or the police actually having evidence that someone might be involved in knife crime, what does that look like at the moment? So at present, you can use a video or song of the individual who's been charged with an offence. Mm. You can use his music as evidence against him. And I say he because it's invariably men who are involved in these cases. And women are almost a statistical irrelevance when it comes to knife crime. I've always struggled with this because I think there is, on the one hand, a long history of, of various types of music, not just black music, being demonised and being blamed and being labelled as the problem in various situations. But the lyrics, if you saw them written down on a piece of paper somewhere and you knew what all the slang meant, these are detailed accounts of offences being committed. They are bragging about it. And invariably, they are actually committing these. They're not just talking about them. Uh, and it does seem to perpetuate gang conflicts. It needs saying, like, drill has a problem, but it's not the problem. And, and I think we can get really distracted mm. from uh, how you build a proper solution to traumatise young people, carrying knives out of fear, carrying knives because they think that it's, you know, the, the, the safest way to navigate the streets they live on, to, you know, focusing on... Uh, the music okay and is there any story that's like really stuck with you i covered a case a few years ago i'm still friends with the father of the boy he was cleared of a double murder a teenager 19 i think he stabbed two guys to death he'd been stabbed in the past yeah and he carried a knife for protection um he was out with some friends uh and they they chased him through the street and he was carrying a sporting injury and he couldn't keep up with his mates and he ended up falling to the ground. The guys that were chasing him had weapons yeah. and he pulled out his knife and he used it. He was cleared of murder in court. But what's left, you know, in his life, in the lives of the families of the people he killed, it's incredible trauma that spreads and, and, and real, like, deep, profound damage that then perpetuates further violence. Okay, so it's not like this isolated thing that you're not living in a kind of state of fear or a state that you think you need to carry something and then you randomly have a knife. It's like it goes hand in hand with other things, I guess, like happening in your life. Yeah, there's the personal experience, the experience of your peer group, 
you know, you start to witness violence around you, mm. um, of course you're going to be scared. And, uh, and, and for young men, there's a real reluctance to admit that you're, you know, that you're scared or that you're worried or that you've got, you know, that there are problems unfolding around you that you can't keep up with. I think culturally there's an expectation that young men resolve their problems through confrontation. The feeling is always, I have to learn how to deal with this. I have to man up. So I understand the kind of pressure, I guess, of like what it means to being a man. And we actually covered this last week on Noted when we were talking about misogyny. And yeah, it's just all framed of like, what does it mean to actually show yourself, like your masculinity? Does that feed into, I guess, like confrontation and inevitably for some people, violence in this way? It's like really extreme. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really difficult time, right? We look at a lot of these young offenders, you know, secondary school age, mm. they're becoming men or, they, you know, they're expected to become men. You're not given a roadmap for that process. Often young guys, particularly young offenders that, that I've met, don't have the language to talk about some of their feelings, right? They don't really understand exactly why they're feeling what they're feeling. When you mix in the fear and trauma of having violence around you, that, you know, rough and tumble, boys will be boys kind of thing that spills over into man up, you know, the hyper-masculine, like, whatever it is, but, it, you know, it never ends, that, that cycle. The cycle just continues. You said it happens, and that's something that Farron brought up, like just accepting that there's a problem and that institutions need to accept that, and that's part of like coming up with a solution. He spoke about more licensing around buying knives and how easy it was for him to like go on Snapchat and, and just buy a knife. He also spoke about like-minded people coming together to like have an impact and it not just relying on individuals. What do you see from your kind of side in terms of what the future looks like and what solutions look like? Definitely empowering people on the ground to know more about it, to do the sort of work that Farron does with other people. I mean, he's got a network of, of like-minded people that he talks to, but building that is, is so important. And he'll tell you that parents should be aware of the knives they have in the house, uh, where they keep them, whether they can lock them away. We definitely need a better sense of how they're being sold, how they're arriving, what, if anything, can be done to ensure that knives that appear really only to be designed for combat and for hurting people, it's not just kitchen knives, yeah. aren't being sold to people who have no use for them at all. You know, Someone's making these and selling them. Yeah, and there's companies making a lot of money selling combat weapons that really are for sort of high-level hunters. Yeah. Um, uh, there's no way that they, they should be pumping out that many knives without any accountability. So they almost know it's happening, but they can kind of be a bit blind to it at the moment. Um, and do you see any kind of, like, optimism or do you feel any optimism, I guess, about how things are going? When you see people with the conviction that he has yeah. getting up every day and spending their time trying to speak to these young guys, uh, trying to bridge the gap that they obviously feel between themselves and society... Uh, when, when, and when someone who, like Farron, who's had the experiences he's had, who's lived the life that he's had, gets up and does that every day, yeah, I, I, I think more 
people doing more is, is always hopeful. I feel really strongly about things like this. When it comes to knife crime, it is not just up to individuals to turn this around, to carry the huge weight of this on their back. Obviously, people like Farron are doing great things, but clearly there's still loads of work to be done and you can't just look at one person for that. I touched on this with Farron and with John, like with so many big social issues, so much of this is down to community. There's no perfect answer, but I hope if you can, you can take the time to really listen to the words from Farron, even if that means going back and listening again. And keep showing up in your community, not just when something awful happens. As always, if any of what we've talked about has affected you, or maybe you need some support, just head to the show notes for some resources that might help you out. Have you got your own story to tell about this? Or anything that we've chatted about on the podcast? Drop me a WhatsApp. The number is in the description. And I just want to say thank you so much for all of the feedback and all of the love on the podcast so far. So make sure you hit follow and we'll let you know when the next episode is out. This is a podcast by The News Movement, produced by Percy Vonnegut.